Good morning, church. Happy New Year. (laughs) I love this guy over here. This morning, as we stand on the on-ramp to 360 more days of 2020, I want to tell you that I'm stepping into this new year with a mixture of hope and regret. Hope for what God's going to do among us, what he's going to do in us, what he's going to do through us as a church family, but regret for what happened last week to a sister church of ours in the Fort Worth area, the West Freeway Church of Christ. Last week, as many of you know, in the town of White Settlement, which is just outside of Fort Worth, during communion, a gunman began a shooting rampage that killed Richard White and Tony Wallace. The number of dead and the injured could have been much greater if it were not for the quick and professional response of the leader of their security team, Jack Wilson. I mean, as you already know, Jack is a former reserve deputy sheriff, and he leads the security team of that church. The two members who were killed were also members of that security team. Our hearts and prayers are out Go out to the West Freeway Church as they meet in their building this morning because they're doing what we're doing. And that's trying to continue the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. And in a few moments, I want to lead us in prayer for them. But before I do, I want to mention for your knowledge as well as for your peace of mind that our primary security measures for this assembly is a current member of the local Kerrville Police Force who, as you've learned now, after weeks and weeks of them being here, is on duty out there in our foyer. Their vehicle is always prominently displayed in our parking lot because we want to make their presence known for anyone who might come onto our property that if they intend anything that's heinous, they will be met with legal force. This person is always trained who wears that gun and who wears that suit out in our foyer to spot would-be terrorists and to act appropriately if they see anybody who looks suspicious and to take action, immediate action, if they see them doing something that's suspicious or deadly. I want to say this, we do not have a formal security team, but our secondary measure of defense is to have right now in our assembly licensed, armed, and trained individuals that are in place for the specific purpose of worshiping God first, but taking care of you second. One of our brothers has as much, if not more, training experience than Jack, who was responsible for taking down the gunman at West Freeway Church. He's here most of our Sundays that we gather as a church, and he leads a unofficial team of men who do that. Now, those individuals are not our first line of defense, but they are our secondary line of defense, and they will act in case of an emergency. But also, I think you need to know for your peace of mind, we as a leadership discourage the personal carrying of weapons onto our premises, regardless of whether you have a license to do that or not, unless you've talked to our elders first. The last thing we want to have happen in the midst of an emergency like took place last Sunday, should it arrive, is the accidental killing of one of our loved ones by people who are not trained and not practiced and not authorized by our elders to handle a deadly weapon. 
That is our third line of readiness for our church here at Kerrville. And we would ask that anybody who desires to carry a weapon into the service, please talk to our elders first. And if you have family members and friends who possess a license to carry and you bring them with you, please notify our elders that Sunday first or please ask them to leave it at home. Without apology, our primary aim in this place will always be joining our worship together to honor our God. That's our primary purpose. Right behind that is to keep you safe in the process of doing so. But I want us to end by me saying this. This is the first mini-sermon of today. In our country, and also around the world, more so around the world, Christians are meeting right now who know that if they go to gather with other Christians to worship, they may lose their life. We never thought that that would become a reality here in our country, but it's becoming one more and more every, every week. But know this, we affirm with King David, Psalms 20 and verse 7, above everything that I've said, some men trust in horses, and some men trust in chariots, and I might add, some men trust in guns, but we will trust in the name of our God. I think that's worthy of applause, not because I said it, but because David said it. Today, our sister church who suffered this tragedy last week has prepared to worship first and to take care of their people second, and we want to do the same. Bow with me, please. Father, tough things to talk about, but needed. You've never encouraged us to run from the truth, from reality, but you have called us as a people to deal with it differently. To not return evil with evil. Father, we're asking this morning that you give us the wisdom and discernment about how to handle that. I hope that we never have to face that dilemma of what to do with someone in our church who has evil intent. Father, we're asking right now that you please help us be wise about uh, this evil in our world and how we handle it. We want to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, just like you encourage us to be. But this morning, we want to set that aside and hear from you. We're going to put that secondary. And we pray for the the West Freeway Church. We know that's so much harder for them today to come together in your name to give you glory and honor. But would you help them and would you help us to do so in a way that not only makes you pleased but helps changes us to look a little bit more like the Prince of Peace that you sent into this world. Help us be peacemakers like him. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. I want to start this morning with a reading from the first part of um, one of Max's great books called Facing the Giants. He writes, he sits on the street and he leans his head against a building. He'd like to beat his head against it because he just messed up again. Everybody misspeaks occasionally, but Pete does so daily. He blurts wrong words like a whale spout, salt water, spraying folly everywhere. He always hurts someone, but tonight he hurt his dear friend. Pete and his quick trigger tongue hurt him. And then there's Joe and his failures. The poor guy can't hold a job. His career rivals the Rocky Mountains, up, down, cold, hot, lush, barren. 
He tried his hand at the family business. They fired him. He tried his skills as a manager, got canned and jailed. And now he sits in prison, future as bleak as the Mojave Desert. No one could fault him for feeling insecure. He's flopped at every opportunity in his life. And so is she. Not at work, but at marriage. Her first one failed and so did her second. By the collapse of the third, she knew the names of the court clerk's grandkids. If her fourth trip to divorce court didn't convince her, her fifth removed all doubt. She is destined to be a marital flop. Max goes on to write, people, don't we have our proverbial hang-ups, all of us? Peter always speaks before he thinks. Joe always fails where he should succeed. The dear woman wins at marriage as often as a burrow wins at Churchill Downs. And you, does one prevailing problem seem to darken your life? Some are prone to cheat. Others are quick to doubt. Maybe you worry. Yes, everybody worries some, but you own the national distributorship for anxiety. Perhaps you're judgmental. Sure, everybody can be critical, but you pass more judgments than a federal judge. So, he asked, what's your weakness? What's that one bad habit, that one rotten attitude where Satan seems to have, listen to the word, a stronghold on you? That's a fitting word, he says, stronghold, a fortress, a citadel, thick walls, tall gates. It's as if the devil has staked a claim on one weakness and constructed a rampart around it. You ain't touching this flaw, he defies, placing himself squarely between you and God's help with your explosive temper, with your fragile self-image, with your freezer-sized appetite with your distrust for authority. And here's how he finishes. Seasons come and go and this Loch Ness monster still lurks in the water bottom of your soul and it will not go away. It lives up to both sides of this compound name. Strong, strong enough to grip like a vice and stubborn enough to hold on. It clamps like a bear trap. The harder you shake, the more it hurts. If you can relate to any of what Max describes here so masterfully, then you need this series of lessons that I've entitled Freedom. Our series that we launched last week, when I asked those of you to fill in a blank, started this way, that if God could enable you to break free from any debilitating, destructive behavior in your life, what would that be? What would you like to ask him to please help you stop? If you were to ask God, God, grant me the freedom to stop, what would go in the blank? Max listed some common struggles to stop getting angry so quickly, to stop being so sensitive to criticism, to stop eating more calories than your body needs, to stop being so touchy to the leadership that's set over you. I'm not talking about something that's an occasional nuisance. I'm not talking this morning about an occasional weakness. I'm talking about, and I love the word, stronghold. Prison. Something that has a record for persistence and endurance and making your life miserable. A behavior you seem so shackled to and so in bondage to, you don't know 
that you will ever be able to be free from it. Well, last week we focused on the stronghold. All of us, every single one of us in this room struggles with, it's comparison. And so we spent the entire lesson talking about that because we all struggle with it. Moving into 2020, we wanted to make sure that we had some tools to deal with how we compare ourselves to people. And we all do it. And if you want to hear more about that, that's on our website under sermons. You can just go to this banner here, Freedom, and, and catch that message. But I want to take us back this morning to that personal area of struggle that I asked you about last week. What, with God's help, in 2020, would you like to see come to an end? But what I want to do is rephrase it this morning as we move into actually 2020 to ask it this way, maybe more in a positive way. What would you like to start? Rather than focus on what we struggle with, what would you like to be freed by God to do? Let me rephrase Max's list, all right? I want to start becoming slow to anger. I want to start relying on who God says I am, not who people say I am. I want to start eating less and eating healthy. I want to start welcoming guidance and direction from other people that God puts in leadership over me. If you could walk in freedom in regards to any area of your life that qualifies as a stronghold, I want to ask this morning, what would that be? Because I want to help you start in 2020 with some new life. So you may not have noticed it before, but some of the very first words God ever spoke to any man or woman on the globe was this. You are free. You're free to eat of anything here in the garden. Wide open. Now, he did give them a little bit of a limit, but we tend to focus more on the limit than on the freedom. God said, listen to me, you are created free. Put that one up on the screen, guys. I want that one to be in their eyes as well as in their minds. God created us to live free. Now, right now, none of you are doing that well. <laughs> Not fully anyways. Which is why an empty tomb matters for us to be reminded of just on the heels of this baby who came. How Jesus started his walk here in the world. Remember how he ended his physical walk here with being resurrected. Jesus' heaven breakthrough offers us more than just the promise that one day we can be where he is now. Because he's promised us power because of that same resurrection. And he's called us the promise of that we can experience life like he experienced when that spirit came back into his body and brought him back to life. Don't take my word for that. Listen to God's. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit will give life. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit that lives in you. Now, I don't know of any better truth or any better words I could launch your new year with than that. Jesus made available to all of us in Christ his death and resurrection, yes, to forgive us, but to set us free from sin's curse, yes, but also from sin's curse and how it impacts and destroys and steals from us every single day of our lives. And so as we move into this new year, I want to remind you of a couple of traps that are going to try to keep you from living in that. Here's the first one. Beware of the trap of denying that bondage exists. 
from the hardest chains to break are the ones no one ever acknowledges. There's one thing that a few decades of ministry has taught me. It's this, that when someone says, I don't have any problem with that, most likely they have a problem with that. And so the path of freedom has got to include some ruthless, personal honesty. Which is why the Bible says in 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Wow. You mean overcoming anything starts with knowing that there's something that's dominating me? Yes. Because you can't get to where you want to be if you don't know where you are to begin with. Next week I'm going to create some time when you can write on a card something that you would like to experience freedom in this year. Not today, but next week. And here's why. Because some of you right now aren't even aware you've got a place in your life that has you in bondage. And sometimes it takes the Spirit Himself to help reveal that so that you can see it. Sometimes it takes the Spirit through a friend to help you see it. And so this week I'm going to ask you specifically, right now early in the lesson, would you do something for me? Please. Please pray that God would reveal to you any area of your life that has more control over you than you have control over it. An area of bondage, an area of dominance that you'd like to be free from that maybe you're not even aware of. Now that might be who you are. My guess, however, is that most of us are in a different place. (laughs) That most of us, the issue isn't the necessity of freedom. The issue is the possibility of it. Believing freedom could actually be mine. Because you tried to break free once or twice or a hundred times. You tried loose to stop losing your temper. You, you tried to stop worrying so much. You, you tried to stop being a people pleaser. And it didn't go well. And so you exchanged try hard and fail for stop trying and just fake it. And so if that's your struggle, maybe the second trap is what you need to be aware of. And here it is. Beware of the trap of deciding freedom doesn't exist. We live in a world that is absolutely surrounded by failure and weakness. We're surrounded by failure and weakness. So much so that it's tempting to believe that bondage is normal. Too many of us who wear the name of Jesus have thought for too long, I believe in the resurrection. And the fact that Jesus did conquer the stronghold of death, but I cannot believe that this stronghold in my life is ever going away. Sure, we will talk about freedom, but we just don't think it's real. Interesting, if you were to go to New Hampshire, you'll see on the very bottom of their license plate, live free or die. It is a model from the state which was made famous during the Revolutionary War from a war hero by the name of John Stark. Here's the irony. Live free or die is the model for that state. The license plate that it's found on is produced by an inmate who's in prison. Isn't it true too often we proclaim freedom, we just don't think it's real. And so we're okay with receiving the promise of salvation that one of these days I'm going to go to heaven, but we're content to live, and I mean this as biblically as I can, in hell while we're here. God has a problem with that. Your preacher has a problem with that. And I hope as a family we have a problem with that. Jesus didn't say, I will be the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And if that's true, then while we wait for his return, church, we don't have to wait in a cell. We don't. Because the risen Christ in us is greater than anything that attempts to bind us. And I realize it's hard to believe that because even the Apostle Paul himself writes to the church in Rome, I don't do what I want. (laughs) I do what I don't want to do. And he ends that text that so many of us are familiar with, crying out, who's going to free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he answers his own question this way, thank God that he's going to deliver me through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I believe that. I hope you do too. Because God loves us exactly where we are. But you know this, he loves us too much to let us stay there. He created me. I wanted to be reminded of this on the, on the verge of this new year. He created me to be free. And that his power is greater than any stone and greater than any locked door and greater than any chain and any destructive addictive behavior I've found myself in bondage to. And that's why Jesus wants us to hear this story. It's one of his favorites. He said a father had two boys. The youngest came to him and said, could I have my inheritance now? Which in its day was both a stunning and an insulting request. The boy's basically saying, Dad, you're not dying soon enough for me. I'd like to have my inheritance now if you don't mind. And more stunning than the request is the father's response. He gave it to him. He gave him the deed to his property. Well, you can't buy tequila with property. So he takes tequila down and cashes it in so that he can. He cashes in the family's land that's been in their family for generations and generations. And he takes that wad of cash and heads out for a border town. And every one of us knows what a young man does with a wad of cash headed towards a border town. And he did it well. He did it first class. He was the most popular dude in the city until the money ran out. And the young man realized that the old axiom is true, that when the money runs out, the friends run away. And he had nothing. And he's left with no choice but to find a job that during his culture, in his time, and in his religion, was absolutely the worst thing that could ever happen to him. Working in the mud, feeding pigs. Even in my religion and even in my culture, that would be a downer. For him, it was an abomination. The story takes a turn for the better. You know the story well. When he came to his senses, Jesus said, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So I'm going to set out and go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. I'll settle for that. And so he got up and he went to his father. This is a must story. Whenever we want to talk about freedom. Because it reveals some of the decisions in anyone that I have ever met who's found freedom in this world. And here's the first decision they have to make. It's this. I've not been thinking straight. If you want to help someone move from bondage to freedom, they got to start. I haven't been thinking straight. Jesus said he came to his, his senses, and I think that's hugely significant. 
Because the battle for freedom, listen to me, is largely here. It's in the mind. God shows us over and over again in his story that our story has to be aware, has to be um, sober about, has to be a little concerned over, a deceiver who wants me to buy lies that will destroy my life. And that largely takes place in my mind. Which is why Jesus made such a point to say what was read by William a few moments ago so well. The truth is the only thing that will set you free. That's not just a little quippy statement. It's one of the decisions that has to be made in my life. To find the truth about my life so I can live free. Because all bondage is a lie. This is so huge because it's the key to breaking free from whatever has you, my friend, in hostage. See, most people want to address destructive behaviors. That's where we tend to start. We just want the destructive behaviors to stop or to change. But what we've got to grasp is that behind those behaviors are some very, very destructive lies. And until you have a breakthrough with the truth, you're never going to have a breakout. Need an example? Here's one. That workaholic woman or man that's in your house or is in your family... They just never seem to be home. I mean, they're always out making more, doing more. And you can, you can recognize that. They may not because they've got reasons why they're doing it. And underneath them is a lie that I am what I have. I am what I have. And so you can try to change your behaviors. Even the boss can say, I want you home at 5, and I don't want you coming to the office on the weekends. But they may be there in their body, but they're not there where? In their mind. No, they're still on their laptop. They're still on their phone. They're still thinking about what's going on at the office and all the stuff that needs to be taking place because they still are believing a lie that I am what I have. I came across this verse the other day that I know that God slipped in this last week because I'd never seen it before in 2 Timothy. Because Paul writes to a preacher that he's trying to train up. I've read First and Second Timothy probably more than any other books that I've ever read in my whole life. But I don't know if I read this. He says in Second Timothy 2, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Man, that's good to remember. I think most people that we find ourselves, especially in the church, opposing truth, they're not doing it to be belligerent. They're just doing it because they believe some form of a lie, even about maybe what the text or the Bible says. So be gentle, okay? Because perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth, Paul goes on to say. Now notice what's the result of getting your thinking straight. Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Don't think truth is essential. Read 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 when you get home. How is Satan putting people into bondage? Answer, he's messing with their thinking. That's where he starts with every one of us. There's no lie that he has enslaved more people with this lie. Show it on the screen here. I am missing something wonderful because God won't bless me with fill in the blank. I'm missing something wonderful. I know it because God won't bless me with fill in the blank. It was the first lie that duped the first couple that cost them their first home. 
And Satan wants us to buy the lie that, please hear this, a life of obedience with God means less. That's a lie. Here's a lie that he would really, really like for our teens to buy into. A life of obedience with God means less. Teens, hear me clearly. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Satan gives us brochures to almost anything that's just outside the will of God. And those brochures are glossy and they are amazing to look at and they promise the most incredible things can happen. They're just outside the will of God. And he shows you what, what that could look like, but he never shows you where the trip winds up. Because he didn't want you to see that it winds up in bondage. In a place you can't get out of on your own. And so he's going to disguise it with making it look really, really good. And you know what? Even being in the midst of it, it is good until you get to the end of the trip. And it's not good anymore. Which is why Recovery Group says every single person who finds themselves in bondage, um, in, in a prison of some kind, something that's personal, that, that will not let them out anymore. They used to be in charge of it, but now it's in charge of them. The recovery groups say they've got to hit a bottom first before they wake up. Because when they hit that bottom, hopefully it jars their mind to understand you don't know all you thought you knew. That's why I say one of the first decisions that we've got to come to on this journey to freedom is this. I've not been thinking straight. The second one is this. I must not blame anything or anyone else. This young man comes home prepared to say this. I sinned. Dad, I sinned. Against heaven and against you. And can I just say this? In, the, in my profession, in my vocation, those words are so refreshing to hear because they're so rarely heard. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always something else's fault. It's never mine. I can promise you this, if you've got something that you know this morning has you in its grips, you have become very, very good at excusing and accusing others because of where you're at. And it's a lie. It's not the truth. Freedom decisions start with knowing I have not been thinking straight and I must not blame anyone or anyone else, anything else, for what I'm responsible for. This guy had plenty to... Point the finger at. He could have blamed his older brother. That self-righteous hypocrite. He could have blamed his dad. Softy. He should have shown tough love and said, No, you can't have your deed before I die. He could have blamed his friends who ran out on him whenever all the money ran out. He could have blamed God saying, Why would you send this famine? Family, please hear me. You cannot blame your way into freedom. I didn't put that one on one of the slides. I probably should have. You cannot blame your way into freedom. Because at its core, freedom is an inside job. That's why Paul and Silas can be in a jail cell and they're singing praises to God and are more free than the jailer who's watching them. It is a lie to say that if someone will just fix this or just fix that, then I wouldn't be doing... Because freedom's not a change of circumstances as much as it is a change in my mind that there really is... The capacity to be free. 
You can be free from fear regardless of whether or not the cancer comes back or goes into remission. You can be free from anxiety regardless of what Iran does in retaliation for the missiles that we sent over there. You can be free from bitterness from the person who hurts you badly even if they never say they're sorry. But Satan is always going to provide you a reason to stay in your prison. So you can nurse your bondage and you can curse your bondage and you can rehearse your bondage to whoever will listen to you which won't be long. Or with God as your helper you can reverse the bondage. Let's take this home. Here's what the young man understood in his mind before he actually started some actions. I don't have to stay where I am. I don't have to stay where I am. Jesus says this young man got up and he set out for his father's presence to ask for mercy and to ask for a better life. And that young man decided that the reality of his present didn't have to be the only possibility of his future. This show on television a couple years back called Mythbusters. Anybody ever seen that? Mythbusters. Good show. One of the episodes, these two people took these two old dogs, old dogs, They were Alaskan Malamutes that were famous for being stubborn. And in just four days, they had those two dogs sitting and shaking hands and lying down and rolling over and fetching. Can you guess which myth they were trying to debunk? Yeah. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Friend, please hear me. No matter how long you have... And I don't want to exist it. I don't want to say live. No matter how long you've existed in your place of bondage, God says you don't have to stay there. The way things are does not have to be the way they stay. Not if Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. The way things are are not the way they have to stay. If Jesus really is the resurrection and the life, if he's not, we go home. I don't want to live in this world just forgiven. I need help. Amen? I need help. And here's the best news. He's offering it to every single one of us as we launch into this brand new year. How'd the father respond to this young man who believed he didn't have to stay where he was? The father that represents God in our story. Let's allow Jesus to finish it. Here we go. Next, next slide. But while he was still a long way off, and let me pause there for Five seconds. A long way off from where he was and wanted to be and who he wanted to be and what dad, since he was a little baby, dreamed for him to be while he was still a long way off from that. The father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him and the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called one of your sons anymore. And the father says, hush up in his mind. (laughs) But he says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. And let's celebrate because this son of mine was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost And now he's found. And now we have something to celebrate.
Most people in bondage don't give up believing in God. They just believe the lie that God's given up on them. Some of you are here this morning and you've believed that. Even this boy on his way back still thinks he's a slave. I'll just settle for being a servant. God says, not on my watch. The father will only let his children return one way, and that's as a member of his family. Love these words. This son of mine, after all he's done, trashed the family farm, sold it. This son of mine embarrassed the family reputation with the women and the drinking and the philandering. This son of mine. It's home. Let me close by saying this. We've talked about freedom's decisions that need to be made. Here's freedom's first step. That's claiming your true identity. Who you think you are will affect where you wind up in the future. Man, I hope you launch this year and the rest of your life with that. Please, teens, hear me. Who you think you are is going to determine where you wind up in your future. When my son-in-law was a trainer for the Texans, he worked a great deal with J.J. Watts. At the time, J.J. was arguably the best defensive player in the NFL, not just on his team, but in the NFL. And Tyler said J.J. was forever being asked to sign this and sign that. But during the year that he was there, they got a letter from a little guy by the name of Anthony Tarantelli. And here's what Anthony wrote. I'm your biggest fan. Did I tell you that Anthony's nine? said, I'm your biggest fan. People call me JJ because I also play defensive end like you, and I wear number 99 like you do too. He said, I was the most feared rusher. It's in the little that you can't read it, but I'm going to read it for you. I was the most feared rusher in my league this year, and I'm sending you an autographed jersey <laughs> so that you'll know me when I'm a famous NFL player. Oh, you got to go online and see all the stuff that he sent in return. But he ends his letter by saying, 99, you rock your friend, Anthony. Here's why I love that. Because my God is a huge supporter that who you think you are is going to determine where you go in this world. He spends a thick book like this trying his best to say, please, no. Who you are in my eyes. And live that way. Will you listen this year? Will you believe him this year? That if you're in Christ, you are not who you used to be. Now, I know this is hard for us to believe. It's a huge faith step that the Holy Spirit has got to help us with too. Because we want to think that where I've been is who I am. And what I've done is who I am. And, and that's just wrong. You are not who you used to be if you're in Christ. You are who God's creating you to be. And so at some level, we need to quit trying to fix who we are and start living out what God says we are. That's where we've got to start. He who began a good work in you, listen to this, he will be faithful to complete it if you'll just cooperate a little. Just cooperate a little. And that, my friend, is more powerful than any chain or cell that you've experienced in your life ever. So please believe it and start walking in freedom.
20 seconds. Have you ever walked through those electronic doors, Walmart? I love those things, or anywhere that they are. When you're walking up to them, don't they look closed? It's because they are. I mean, they're closed. But as you get closer, they open. It takes power to do that. Or some monkey in the back on a little rotating chain thing. It takes power to do that. Would you believe that God is greater than that little dinky power? And then if you'll start walking towards Him, the doors will just open. It might take a little bit more power and energy and time for them to open, but they will open for it. They open for Pete. Let me finish what Max started at the beginning of our message. Pete, you remember him, he writes? Speak now and think later, Pete. Well, God released Satan's stronghold on his tongue. For proof, just read Peter's Pentecostal sermon in Acts chapter 2. God turned impetuous Peter into the apostle Peter. And Joe, the failure, fired by his family, jailed by his employer, can jobless Joe ever amount to anything? Well, Joseph did. He became prime minister of Egypt. What about the five-time divorcee? The woman whom men discarded and Jesus discipled? Later reports have her introducing her entire village to Christ. The Samaritan woman was Jesus' first missionary. All of them further proof of what Paul says. God's mighty weapons knock down the devil's stronghold. I love that. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth. Joseph was imprisoned in Egypt. The Samaritan woman had been married five times. Jesus was dead in the grave. But God. And because of it, Max says, Peter preached and Joseph ruled and the woman shared and Jesus rose. And I'm going to ask his question for you. What about you? What about you? What does God want to set you free to start this year? Father in heaven, we come to you this morning needing your Holy Spirit, not just to have spoken in this message, but needing as we walk out of here to help us live in this truth. Because some of us, Father, are in some serious cells. We've been in these personal prisons for a long time, and we weren't sure we could really ever think about getting out. Would you please let your word have weightiness to it and go with us and even ask the question for every single one of us, is there an area in our life that we are in bondage to, that we're blind to, that we're shackled to, that we just can't see or break free from? Would you show that to us? Father, we're going to praise your name right now. And as we praise, we we pray that you fill us with the power to help us leave here looking more like your son than when we walked in. In Jesus' name, and everybody said you want to start your new year off by becoming a Christian, please come find me. And if you know that you haven't been living like a Christian and need some help for some brothers and sisters to pray for you about that, we want to pray with you. Let's stay and let's sing, church.